We are in the book of Genesis, continuing on there. If you would uh, turn with me there, uh, Genesis uh, chapter 8, verse 20 to 9, verse 7. Genesis eight twenty to 9, 7. Do you know we've been preaching through the book of Genesis? We began right in chapter 1, and we're going through. I am planning on preaching up until the end of chapter 11, just before the call to Abram, taking a break then. Um, not sure where we'll go after that. Maybe back to 1 Corinthians, maybe something else, getting ready for the fall. And so that's where we're going. Uh, we're going to see a couple things this morning. We're going to see, as Pastor Jeff said, you can tell a lot about a person by first things, what you do first in the morning. Uh, and, and then you can also tell a lot of person about what they're willing to suffer for what they're willing to pay a price for. And we'll see those things here. So let me read these verses, uh, Genesis eight twenty to 9, 7. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal. You might remember earlier on that he took two of all of the unclean animals, but of the clean animals, it's, the Hebrews are ambiguous. He either took seven pairs of the clean or seven total. And, and, and as you remember, I said that's because of worship and then also food. So here he's taking these clean animals and worship. And some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I've done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps in the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I require it, and from man. From his fellow man I require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. And God made, for God made man in his own image. And you... Be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. Let's pray. Teach us, O Lord, the way of your statutes, that we might keep it till the end. Give us understanding that we may keep your law and observe with your, our whole heart. Lead us in the path of your commandments, for we delight in it. Incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give us life in your word. And amen. Our text, I think, can be explained in a few words. First, we have worship, as Pastor Jeff showed. Noah, after being rescued from God's judgment, as a first thing, was uh, built an altar, an altar, sacrifice animals in worship. Second, after worship, we see promise. God promises to never destroy uh, the entire earth and all living things as he did with the flood. While the earth remains... Until the coming of his son, he will uphold all things. We see agricultural, sunsets, sunrises, seasons, so on. God will uphold the earth. Third, we see God's provision. So we have worship, we have promise, we have provision. 
God, after promising uh, life until the end, promises to sustain that life. He gives promises for procreation, blessing on Noah and his sons. God promises from now on to protect. He's going to uh, put a fear on the beast to protect the man. He promises to provide food. Uh, here, meat, just as God gave the plants now, or maybe reiterating, God gives um, animals for man to sustain. And then fourth, um, now that sin is in the world, now that we read that the intent of man's heart is evil, God promises to provide justice. He promises protection of justice. Anyone who sheds the blood of man, by man will his blood be shed. And above all of that, uh, the, the most important uh, four words, if I can, are in nine one, and God blessed Noah. That's it. And we're going to spend some time there. So our text begins with worship. As I said in the intro, you can tell a lot by a person um, by first things. What do you do when you first wake up in the morning? What do you do to start your week? What would you do after getting off an ark after a year? <laughs> uh, and Noah worships. I think it's incredible, really. Of all the things that needed to be done, um, he does the one most uh, good thing, most glorious thing. He worships God. Noah builds an altar slaughters some of every clean animal and bird and offers them as a sacrifice of praise. Now, in Psalm 50, um, we read there that God doesn't need burnt offerings. He doesn't get hungry. Um, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. He needs nothing from us. And so what is central in this worship of Noah isn't the sacrificed animal, but the gratitude. The thanksgiving. We read in Psalm 50, verses 14 to 15, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So do you start off your mornings with this kind of an attitude? Right? Another day of life God has given you. You have breath in your lungs, uh, maybe a warm shower of food, clothing. Do you offer God sacrifice of praise, or as you consider your life, you consider the salvation God has purchased for you, do you find yourself throughout the week offering God gratitude for all of the salvation that he has purchased through you, for you through the blood of his son? So how are you doing at this kind of worshipful gratitude? Isn't that a great temptation for us? How easy we find it to um, be ungrateful, to be complaining, to be grumbling. And look at our God. Look at what he's given you. Just think today already, what has he given you? And, and then forgetting that, let's say you didn't have anything, but you only had Christ. Isn't that enough to be incredibly grateful for? Not complaining. Well, the things that we are doing in our world today is we are equating love with flattery. We feel loved when people flatter us, when they say nice things about us that may or may not be true. This is, as I've said before, that's what Facebook exists for, I think. 
I, every once in a while, when my mom makes a mistake of leaving her phone without password protection, will go on Facebook and post something for her. Now, typically, we just put something like rotten day, just something like that, just because I like to see all of her friends come on there and flatter my mom. And you can do that, right? You can manipulate people in this world into saying things about you that you really want to hear. Um, but we shouldn't be like that as believers. We have Christ. We, we, we can suffer anything because we have Christ, and so we're worshiping him. Now, we read after this that Noah's sacrifice pleased the Lord. We read that the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. Now, this is just a simile. God is spirit. He doesn't have a nose. He doesn't smell. This is how God loves us. He communicates truths about himself in a way to us that we can understand. Because God is so far above us. His thoughts are so far above ours. And so God comes down to our level. That's what he's doing here. But Noah's offering please the Lord. Isn't that incredible? His gratefulness was actually pleasing to the great God in heaven. Don't forget that as we gather in worship. That as we come with actual thankfulness, that as we come before him with faith, he is pleased with it. He is pleased with it. I've used this before. I don't want us to ever forget it. When God's son was baptized, when Jesus Christ was baptized and he came up out of the water, God the Father was there present. You remember what God said? This is my beloved son. I wish he would have picked up his room. Right? Right. This is God's son. Couldn't you at least have, right, no? This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We have a father in heaven who is pleased with us. Um, and this is, again, a reminder to us as fathers. You want to cultivate a household where there's kind of an atmosphere where your children know that they are pleasing to you. You have to correct them, of course. You do have to discipline them, but don't nag them. Don't be always irritated with them. Um, I do that as a father. It's wrong. It's sinful. We don't want our children growing up feeling like dad or mom are always irritated. Now, you as husbands are going to sometimes have to help your wives because they bear a great burden at home, you know. They are with the children all day long. They do a lot of work, and sometimes by the end of the day, they uh, aren't as pleased with their children as they would like themselves. And so sometimes you as a husband are going to have to help your wife there, and you know if you bring correction to your wife in that moment, it won't go well for you. That's okay. It's part of doing it. But help, help that, because you want to cultivate an attitude, an atmosphere in your house of being pleasing them. Now, we know that that is not possible apart from faith. We cannot be pleasing to God apart from faith. We know that we are only reconciled to God, not by animals, that the animals here sacrifice are only pointing to Christ. We are reconciled to God by the death of his son. Animal sacrifices um, before Christ, we know, had to re- be repeated day after day after day of day, because they were nothing in themselves. They only showed us that the only way to be reconciled to God is through the perfect sacrifice once and for all of his son. All right? And so Noah was pleasing to God in the same way that you and I are. 
through faith and the sacrifice of an innocent. Right? Without faith, we read in the book of Hebrews, it is impossible to please God. But faith in whom? It's faith in Jesus Christ. God is satisfied with us. We are acceptable to him only in Christ. We sang this, uh, this morning that we don't ever want to find our acceptance with God in anything good in us. Right? Noah wasn't pleasing to God because he gutted it out for a year on the ark. Right? Noah wasn't ultimately pleasing to God because he built the ark in the first place. He was ultimately pleasing to God because he had faith in the promise of God's son who would come and crush the serpent and would end sin. And so please don't neglect that. You have acceptance with God. You have been reconciled to God by the death of God's son, the one sacrifice for all time to end sacrifices. And so we aren't like Roman Catholics here. We don't think Jesus is continually sacrificed over and over again. It is once and for all. Right. So if you are an unbeliever here this morning, if you have no faith, you are not acceptable to God. You are not reconciled to him. You're separated from him by your sin. And the only way is to turn from your sin, from your evil, from your wickedness to faith in Jesus Christ. And faith is just simply you going, I believe God's son died on the cross in my place for my sin and my hope is there. I'm putting my weight there. That's it. Now after this, after Noah's worship, God promises to never do as he did again in the flood. God promises, we read, though every intention of man's heart is evil from the youth. Isn't that striking? Isn't that striking? Verse 21. I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. We read in Scripture that God knows our frame, he knows that we are dust. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Isn't that kind? Isn't that kind? God is infinitely patient with the sinfulness of man. This doesn't mean, however, that God has ceased judging sin. We know that God is the same from um, evermore into evermore. He doesn't change. God still judges sin. He just promises here not to judge it again by a worldwide flood. Right? The earth is full of God's judgments. You might remember that instance where some came up to the Lord Jesus and they brought up an instance where um, Pilate had murdered some and mingled their blood with the sacrifices. And they were asking Jesus, uh, did they... Did they uh, were they executed for their own sin or maybe even their parents' sin? What's going on there? And Jesus said, no, nothing to do with that. But unless you repent, you likewise will perish. That is, he was saying that is a form of God's judgment. God still judges sin, but unless you repent, you too will perish. So we see around us all the time judgments of God. We had a major storm come through here. Is that not God's warning, God's judgment against sin, his power? We have the ability in our day to receive news from around the world in an instant. Often because of social media, we know even before government officials in foreign lands what's going on because of people texting or Facebooking or so on. It should be a reminder, a sobering reminder to us all of God's judgments against sin. 
And then a reminder that though God will never drown the world again in a flood, he is coming one day to judge finally and fully. This is what it means to fear God, isn't it? This also, though, the news of God's judgment on sin is supposed to be an um, a opportunity for us as believers to not have to avenge ourselves. Paul in the book of Ru- Romans tells us to not avenge ourselves, but to leave it to the wrath of God. God will repay. We're going to see in a moment that we in our uh, day are, are going to face increasing opposition and ridicule and loss for following Christ. And we'll actually suffer injustice for it. You might lose your job or um, other kind of difficulty because of following Christ and you'll want justice. You'll want justice. And we are taught to be patient. Leave it to the wrath of God. I tell my kids this all the time when they're fighting with each other and they want to return what they've been given. I say, leave it, leave it to God's wrath. God will deal with it. It's supposed to be a, a comfort for us. We, we don't have to seek personal retribution. But the point here is that God is a God of promise. Notice the qualification to this promise. Um, while the earth remains in verse 22. That is, there is a time coming when this earth will be undone and remade. But while it remains, God will supply it. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. We learn a couple things from this. First, God upholds all things. We read in the book of Colossians that the universe, or is that Hebrews? Sorry, I should have looked this one up. Um, He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Why are we in summer? Because God is speaking. Why are the apple trees and the apples starting to grow and get a little bigger? Because God upholds the universe by the word of his power. Whatever exists, exists because of God. He brings day and he brings night. He brings summer and yes, he'll bring winter. Because he's God. He does that to teach us humility. He does as he pleases. Second, though, it also teaches us that there is a day of judgment coming while the earth remains. Right? That little while there is a reminder to us as believers that Christ will return. And he'll recur- return in judgment, protecting us, and ultimately glorifying us in his presence forever. So I have great hope there, brothers and sisters. Don't neglect this. There is a day coming when this earth will be remade and you will dwell with him in the eternal heaven forever. It's coming. All right, so God uh, he is worshipped by Noah. God promises to never flood the earth, but to sustain it. And so now we have this small contingent of humans and God promises to provide everything that they'll need to uh, do like Adam and Eve had done which is populate the earth. So and God blessed Noah and his sons of them be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So here we are back in Genesis 2 if you will. This is a, a second creation. God had 
wiped the earth clean in the flood. You have an Adam and an Eve again and Noah and his wife and their children and they're to repopulate. They're to repopulate. They're lords of the earth. They are given dominion over the earth. They are to rule the earth. Please don't forget that, who we are. We are lords of this earth. We are given dominion to rule over it. We are not equal, no matter what the secularists say, with other animals. We are far above them. We are crowned with glory and honor. Human beings created in God's image, male and female, have a dignity and a worth that no other created thing has on this earth. Now, in order to fill this calling, to, f- to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, that is to marry and have lots of children, which, you know, I speak about frequently. You're doing a good job. Keep it up, as we saw at the baby dedication. Um, we-, we need provision. We need provision. Now, think about Noah, again, getting off the ark with his family. There's nothing. It would have been cause for faithlessness, for despair. And so Noah and his family need encouragement. Um, They're going to need motivation, some encouragement, some happy thoughts in order to go about this. The temptation would have been to just forget about it. So what does God say to him? And God bless them. They needed to know of God's favor. They needed to know of God's provision. And so God tells them that he blesses them. He's for them. He'll do what they need for this to get done. Let me apply this to you. Don't you feel as though we live in a world that's going to hell? Don't you? Now, let's get some historical perspective if you were alive in the 20s, right after World War I and Depression coming, you would have felt like there's no hope for my children and my grandchildren. If you were alive right after World War II and all of Europe was in flames and most of Asia was in flames and you're hearing of more saddle ra- uh, saber rattling in North Korea and um, you would have felt like there's no hope for future generations and so this isn't new what you're experiencing but why would you have any hope for your children or for your grandchildren? Why would you encourage your children? Yeah, get married. Get married young and have lots of children. Why would you encourage that? When you know there's going to be so much trouble in the future that believers are going to face. You can see that coming generations in this country are going to suffer for Christ. What do you need to hear in order to step out into this post-Christian culture? What did Noah need to hear in order to step out into a post-flood world where God had just destroyed everything with a flood? What, what do you need to hear? And God blesses his people. And God bless Noah. That's all that we need, right? What else do you need? What else do you need? Jaylene Hinkle, if you've been following the news in the last few weeks, is a U.S. women's soccer player. She's a Christian, committed Christian. She's a professional. Her 
U.S. professional women's team won the national or the championship. I don't follow women's soccer. I just read about this. Um, but she, she's she's on the best team, and she is the best rated position at her or player at her position. In 2017, June of 2017, playing for the U.S. women's national team. So she's she's of the caliber that she's like the Olympian caliber. She's a she's a World Cup caliber player, and the U.S. women's team is the best team in the world. So she's the best player on the best team in the world. If I could say that. In June of 2017, during Gay Pride Month, the U.S. women's team decided to wear gay pride flags, colored jerseys to celebrate gay pride. And she withdrew for those two matches during the month of June because of her commitment to Jesus. Right? She refused to play and wear something that celebrates what God calls wicked. Just a few weeks ago, she was left off the U.S. Women's World Cup team. Her coach is gay. Many of her teammates are gay. It wasn't her performance. As I said, uh, reading articles of people know that even an article in um, a gay publication talking about the situation said, why did they leave her off? It was a performance. She's the best player at her position in the world. She refused to play two years ago because she believes with every five of her being, this is what she's writing, that the Bible is God's word and never changes. What does she need? Just think about this girl. What did she spend all of her growing up years doing? Playing soccer. Getting ready for this one thing. To play on the U.S. Women's World Cup team. And she was willing to sacrifice it all. She knew the cost in order to be faithful to her Lord. What did she need to know in order to do that? And the ridicule that she has faced, the media has not been kind to her. Teammates, as you'll see in a moment, have been very unkind. What did she need to know? And God blessed her. What does she need to know but that God is for her, that God is her God, that God, though everyone in this world would disown her, God never will. So how can you have faith to not be a worldling? How can we as a church not cave into wanting to appease the world? How will you at your workplace not attend the required celebration or sign this or that or not remain silent when the truth of God is being mocked? How would you risk losing your job? There was a student not too long ago who was uh, arguing with his professor that there is only two sexes. He was kicked out of the class, um, suspended from school, and then ultimately, um, what do you call that when you're kicked out of school? Expelled. Thank you. How could a young man do that? And God bless Noah. What else do you need to know to live in this world? Now, God's blessing isn't just big talk. We're big talkers, right? We talk big. We promise big and then underdeliver. God isn't like that. God isn't a big talker. God says, I bless you, Noah. And then, then he promised to provide kids, promised to provide food, he promised to provide protection, and he promised to provide justice. He names those three things here. God provides for his people. Now, just to be 
careful, I'm not selling here a health and wealth. I'm not Joyce Myers up here this morning. I'm not Benny Hinn. I'm not that um, guy down in Texas. God, God isn't a vending machine. He's not your personal genie. When he blesses us and promises these things, he's not, if you have enough faith, going to fatten your bank account. Sometimes if you have enough faith, he'll empty it for you. If you have enough faith, it doesn't mean your body will be cancer-free. Sometimes having enough faith means your body will be riddled with it. We know we'll suffer for following Jesus. But God does provide for his people. But the question I want to get at is this one. One of the temptations we face is we'll sacrifice the long-term blessing of God for the short-term, short-sighted gain. We don't have faith that God will take care of us. We don't have faith that God's people will be there for us. And so we'll compromise to win in the short-term in order to sacrifice the forever. I think Jesus said something like this, didn't he? We'll gain the whole world and yet. Lose our soul. We live for the here and now and sacrifice the forever. But here, what we're seeing is God's promise to never abandon his people. He will never leave his people. Ever. He'll provide for them. This isn't about getting rich. But this is a promise of provision. And we know as believers that this provision is ultimately an eternal one. If God has already provided for you eternally, if we have in Jesus Christ through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension and soon coming, if we have everything that we need forever, what else won't he give us? What else won't he supply us? He promises here provision of food. He promises here provision of protection. He promises here provision of justice. When Jaylene Hinkle was kept off the U.S. World Cup team, her, the goaltender um, tweeted this. If you're not familiar with Tweedle, Twitter, is Google it, and then you can read it on Wikipedia, Jim, if you don't know what Twitter is. Here's what her teammate wrote. Hinkle doesn't use her first name. She's not being kind here. Hinkle, our team is about inclusion. Your religion was never the problem. The problem is your intolerance and that you're homophobic. You don't belong in a sport that aims to unite and bring people together. You would never fit into our pack and what this team stands for. Now, we could have some fun. It's pretty rich to say our team is about inclusion, but you would never fit into our pack. Right? But don't, let's not spend our time poking holes in this illogical and contradictory statement. What is interesting is that this woman mocking a believer gets what we don't often get. Listen to this statement. Your religion was never the problem. It's your intolerance. What is she saying in that statement? She's saying something very true there. Here's what she's saying. The world doesn't give a rip if you believe in a dead Jewish guy who you think rose from the dead. They don't care if you believe that. That's not offensive. You can believe that all day long. 
what the world hates is the implications of believing that. It's not your religion, Hinkle. It's that you're intolerant. It's not that you believe in a God-made man who died on a cross 2,000 years ago. I don't care about that. It's not that you go to church and worship him. I don't care about that. What I care about is that that commitment means that you won't do what the world says. You understand what I'm saying here? The world could give a rip less if you love Jesus in here and in here. They don't care. You, you can believe that gospel all day long. What they care about is when it changes how you live, when it, when it doesn't keep your mouth shut, when you will not call a little boy she. The moment our gospel goes public, the moment we refuse to be Christians at church and in the home only, is when we'll suffer. Right? The moment you refuse to not discipline your children, but actually spank them because you love them. When you will not be quiet in the lunchroom when somebody's talking about a woman's right to kill her baby when the implications of following Jesus come out of your mouth or keep you from participating in something, that's when you'll suffer. So do you understand what I'm saying? You could find it very easy to be a Christian and believe the gospel in your heart all day long. The world will not begrudge that to you. It's the same way in Jesus' day, right? Same way with the apostles. They could worship Jesus all they wanted. But when it began to cause them to kick against certain things in the culture, they suffered for it. And so what I'm asking is, how will we have that kind of courage as believers? How, how will you, as one who proclaims allegiance to Jesus Christ on Sunday morning, have courage to proclaim Jesus out loud on Monday morning. And I don't think there's any other way than that you're utterly convinced that God has blessed you and will provide for you and has done it for eternity. And look at God's provision. Food. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Justice. If any animal or any other man kills another man, he shall be killed. Capital punishment. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man will his blood be shed, for God made man his own image. He'll provide justice on this earth. So we are an unjust culture now in that we don't have capital punishment. I don't know if you saw this last week, but uh, William Barr is now reinstituting capital punishment for certain federal crimes. The reason for capital punishment in the first case of first-degree murder is given here that God made man in his own image. And please, don't do the silly thing of thinking that that's just an Old Testament thing. In Romans 13, 4, 
we read that God has established human government and that the government bears the sword of justice to be an avenger uh, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. If you're not familiar with the book of the Bible, Romans is in the New Testament after Jesus. And, and that's not hyperbole there, saying that the state carries the sword as an avenger to carry out God's wrath. So, one of the critiques you and I should have of the pro-life movement is the refusal to call abortion murder and refusal to say that those who are part of it, in a first-degree sense, are deserving of the death penalty. We've lost our backbone as a culture. We've lost any kind of masculine sense of justice. And where will we get the courage for this? Where will we defend the defenseless? Where will we mete out justice for rape and murder? But God promises to provide it. God promises to provide it. So, why does this all matter? Well, I think I made it clear. Our mandate as believers is to populate this world with believers. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded. You see, our, our faith cannot remain private. It has to go public. We're supposed to teach the nations to obey Jesus. We are in conflict. How are we going to have faith for this fight? See why this matters. How is Noah going to have faith for this? We are to proclaim this gospel that challenges this world to every man and woman, young and old, rich and poor, all callers, so they will come to faith, repent of sin, and grow in their obedience to Jesus. What for? Well, for the sake of justice. Right? For the defense of the defenseless. Christianity is a meek religion, but it's not a wimpy one. We don't take up swords. We stand against the slaughter of the unborn. We stand against rape. We stand against selling children into slavery. We, we risk embarrassment. We will not be quiet. We risk loss of friendships and income and job and reputation. I'm not talking about being fools running off the mouth, but with self-controlled patience, without yelling, without loss of demeanor, we tell the truth. Why? Because God has blessed us. Because we're his people. Because Christ is our Savior. Because God is our God. Because we have his eternal blessing through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why. Let's pray. Father, help us to have this kind of faith as Noah did. To trust in your blessing, provision, of food, of protection, of justice. That we might teach the nations to... Bend the knee to your son. So God, give your people courage because they have faith in you. And so by your grace, God, build our faith. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the charge is this. We all want to be bold for Christ, don't we? Uh, We do. Um, I do. You do. And we know that we will sometimes compromise where we shouldn't. We know that sometimes we'll be um, too strong when we shouldn't. But here's the thing. 
what we need to be bold is knowing that God is for us. And in order to do that, God's being for us, God's provision is always mediated through people. And those people are the church. So you should know that if you are righteous in this unrighteous world, if you do speak up when you know it's going to cost you, if you take a courageous, wise stand, the church will be for you. We'll take care of each other. So I'm, I'm charging you to be the kind of church that will provide for your brothers and sisters should they suffer for Christ. I mean financially, I mean housing, I mean in every way. That you should know that you could do the right thing and have a whole church of people take care of you. So that's the charge. You're supposed to do that for each other. Okay. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people, the church, according to all that he has promised. Not one word of it has failed of his good promise. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. He, may he not leave us nor forsake us. May he incline our hearts to him to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments. May God maintain the cause of his people in the coming days so that all peoples of the earth may know that the Lord our God is God and that there is no other. Let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God. And amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. And I love you.